I want you to know, and yep, this is a disclaimer, I am not teaching this morning. Um, I don't know what this week, this last week, and of course we've been leading up to this, but I don't know what this last week of the tabernacle was like for you, but it has rocked my boat. And I am... I have some things that I'm going to share with you. Marsha has put together um, a little slide presentation. We're going to go through that. And then, because I don't think I can do it better, we're actually going to use um, for our imagination exercise the part that Nancy Guthrie wrote at the end of her teaching time. And so... I, um, I want to tell you some of the things that I've been learning about the tabernacle. Now, I want to say something. If I had taught this, if I had shared this with you a year ago, it would be different than it is today. And if I shared this a year from now, I trust it would be much different than the words that I'm going to give you today. Um... We had a great discussion time in our small group today. I so, so appreciated the work that the women did and what they brought to the table, and I'm guessing your, your group was very, very much the same. So let's get into the slide. I don't... Oh, good, there it is. Oh, and there it is. Um, we're going to talk about the tabernacle, which is the dwelling place of God. Since God created Eden for man to live in, God has desired to live with man. Sin separated mankind from God in Eden. Exodus describes the next physical place that God has designed to dwell among his people. And that's what we're studying now. It's called the tabernacle. Through Abraham... A nation of Israel was born and eventually were slaves in Egypt. God sent Moses to lead his people out of captivity to serve and worship him. I remember when we read that the first time and I thought, well, and what else? Be a nation after studying this week about the tabernacle, I'm beginning to understand, uh, that's probably too strong a word, I'm beginning to glimpse perhaps some that was involved in God leading them out of Egypt so they could serve and worship him. He promised the, the people of Israel, well, they weren't the people of Israel yet, but he promised them a nation of their own, and he led them out, and the, the worship and service was most explicitly seen um, through the priests that would be in the temple. Okay, now I may not get all of these just right. I think I'm good. After the people left Egypt, God gave Moses a blueprint of the tabernacle where he would dwell. The tabernacle was a place of fellowship through atonement. 
The plans were exact, and every measurement, every color, every type of material was specific and had meaning. And I haven't even began, begun to scratch the per surface of that. And I am totally the kind of person that could get all hung up on that. I could want to know and tell you, especially if you didn't know, that would make me feel especially good, um, what each one of those things sim sim symbolized. But every one of them symbolized something. And I think it's really important to me, for us to remember that eventually this has a heavenly meaning. So this isn't Eden, although there is reflection of Eden. And now we're in the tabernacle, and God has a specific thing that men, women could not, women could not go through the gate. And I wondered what it was like to be a woman in among those Jewish families and stand outside that beautiful gate that it's possible even you had um, a hand in decorating, designing, being a part of, but you could not go beyond that gate and wondering, wondering when that gate would be open to you, what that looked like. Um, the whole tabernacle complex was in the midst of the Is Israelite camp. So everything, as I understand it at this point, everything faced, whichever side you were on, faced the tabernacle. I read someplace that Moses' tent was directly in front of that. I did not find anything in Scripture that said that, but maybe it's there and I just didn't see it. Um, the tabernacle was in the midst of the camp. The camp was built in the formation around the tabernacle. The metals used were gold, silver, and bronze, each with different meanings. Many of the items overlaid acacia wood. And I thought, what an odd thing. Our daughter has an acacia tree in her backyard, and I find really not much attractive about that tree. But um, that is not the reason God chose it. This is what one of the commentaries, whose, his name is John Corson, and um, I try not to read him every week, but this week I did read him several times. This is what he says. Shittim is um, actually the description in King James, or acacia wood speaks of humanity. Acacia trees grow in desert regions in dry ground, just as Isaiah declared that Jesus would be a root out of dry ground. Isaiah 53.2. Acacia wood has a unique property that Bedouins use to this day. That is, when pierced, it pours forth a gum resin that contains healing properties for cuts, sores, and abrasions. In the same way, Jesus was pierced with the flagellum, and by his stripes, we are healed, spiritually, emotionally, physically. Um, the courtyard was surrounded by linen curtains. The white linen represents salvation or being without sin but there was only one way in. You could not go over, it was too tall. You couldn't come under. The only way was through the main entrance, the single entrance, just like Jesus said, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life, and he described himself as a door. The colors that were used were royal purple, which spoke of a heavenly king, sky blue, divinity, heaven, and blood red, blood needed for redemption, and also was human or clay. Again, Corson, and this will be the only other thing that I read by Corson, he says, the Hebrew word tola'ath can be translated one of two ways, scarlet or worm. Why? Because in the Old Testament times, when people wanted to dye something scarlet, they would dip the material in ground up worms and the material would take on a scarlet color. I am a worm and not a man, cried the psalmist, prophetically speaking of Jesus on the cross in Psalm 22.6. And the word he used was tola'af, a most fitting worm. You see, to reproduce the tola'af, or worm, would fasten itself to the limb of a tree and die in the process of giving birth. As it died, it left a red spot and according to the New International Bible Encyclopedia, turned white after three days and flaked off like snow. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, Isaiah declares in 118. The picture is perfect. Jesus fastened himself to a tree that we might be born into his family. He sacrificed his life that we might live. Three days later, he rose again, and our sin that was scarlet was washed as white as snow. Is it any wonder that scarlet was one of the colors in the tabernacle and the vestures of the priests? So when we walk through the gate, the first thing we see is the brazen altar where animals were, sacrifices were made as well as the other sacrifices God specified. Fire never went out and this symbolized God's wrath and judgment. The bronze laver, where the ceremonial washings took place by the priests. The golden candlestick, the menorah, was inside the holy place, and that is not the most holy place. This is the holy place inside the tabernacle itself. The candlestick was made of beaten gold, one piece of gold. Practical use in that it provided light in an otherwise completely dark room. As you read, there were layers of covering over the tabernacle, so there was a complete absence of light. Uh, but the construction remembered the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, and we read about that in Hebrews. When we approach God, we come into, a into his light. Apart from him is utter darkness. The table and the bread of the presence. There were 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel, as well as the implements used by the priests. The table was built of acacia wood covered with gold. The wood symbolized humanity, Gold symbolized deity. The bread was baked by one family, and they alone had the recipe. These were large loaves weighing about five pounds. They were baked weekly and changed out. Tradition says that they stayed fresh, they did not mold, and when the priests ate the bread, they ate fresh bread. 
The bread reminds God, reminded God's people of their dependence on him for their daily bread and reminded the people that more than needing God to feed them, they needed him to feed them. The altar of incense was before the Holy of Holies, was tended twice a day with special incense that was made for this offering. And you may have read that um, there was a specific recipe that God gave the priests to put this incense together and anyone else was forbidden upon the penalty of death to try to replicate it. Um, the priest approached the mercy seat with incense. From God's throne of grace, he answered the prayers of God's people. So we can see kind of a cutaway of we walk into, from the back of the, the tabernacle, we walk in, and if you'll notice, there is the shape of a cross. So we stand at the bottom as we enter that place. The candlestick is on this side. The table of showbread is on this side. And the Holy of Holies is here. The veil or the curtain sep separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go there once a year. Some commentaries say that it was four inches thick and that it took a hundred priests to move it. Another said that when it was taken down, it, took, um, it, was, it actually was used as a covering for the ark, so the ark was never completely exposed. I don't think if it was so heavy that a hundred priests would move it, they would lay it on top of the ark, nevertheless. Uh, there are lots of contradictions in the traditions that are mentioned in commentaries. And I think it's important to remember that always the Word of God is our source, not the commentaries that we read. Commentaries give us understanding, but there is one text, and that is the Word of God. And if the final word is a question mark, that's the answer. There's much that we don't know. Um, when Jesus gave up his spirit, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, giving complete access to the mercy seat. And Grace read this morning in Hebrews that the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus' body was the veil that was torn and rent so we could have access to God. I hope that the Spirit of God teaches me the freedom that I enjoy in Christ that I so easily take for granted. I presume upon his grace and I assume because of the grace that he's given way too many times. I hope what happens for me in this study is that the holiness of God grows much, much bigger than me. I hope that the word of God I desire more than I desire 
just food. Just food. I would love that. The Ark of the Covenant was God's earthly throne. It was the seat of power, so to speak, and the source from which God showed mercy to sinners. Once a year, the high priest had to sprinkle the, tr- the seat with the blood of a spotless lamb. When God came down to dwell with his people, he saw not the law that had been broken, but the saving blood of the atoning sacrifice. And I think I'm going to stop right there, and we're going to move into the next part. If you've not done an imagination exercise, this is where we come before God. And if you need to move, feel free. But I want you to close the eyes of your heart and imagine what it's like to stand in front of that holy place, getting ready to go in And Jesus is your guide. He wants to take you, woman of God, into the tabernacle. And he wants to tell you about it. He calls you by your name. And he invites you in while he discloses to you the things very similarly to the disciples that he disclosed the truths of the Old Testament on the Emmaus Road. But he says, your name. This experience is very, very personal. If you need to write, um, I'm going to give you pieces of, I'm going to give you some minutes just to sit with what we're talking about. But if you need to write something down, um, please do that. If your heart grows warm at something, that is the Spirit of God, I would like to suggest, who is speaking to you, and he has something he wants to say to you. And this is how you respond. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, what do you have to say to me? That's what we do, because this is relationship. This is relationship Do you realize that God dwelling in you through his spirit, he has has come to dwell again and have communion relationship with his created. And that's you and it's me. This is so, so precious. I I pray that it grows uh, in us. uh, Its significance grows. Okay. So close your eyes, leave your eyes open. I don't care what you do. But I want you to put yourself on barren desert dirt. You know what that looks like. And you're in the middle of the desert. There are tents all around you. But you yourself, you yourself, now stand with Jesus. And he's taking you through those beautiful embroidered curtain gates and he has some things that he wants to tell you. 
he would remind you that he was the only way that you could get into this place of communion with him. And you would enter into the courtyards and you would be pummeled with um, different sensory explosions. You would smell fire. You would smell meat. You would smell incense. But Jesus would tell you as you got to the bronze altar that he himself offered the perfect once-for-all sacrifice and he put an end to the sacrifice of bulls and goats which never had the power to take it never had the power to take away the power of sin it was a temporary solution Can you imagine the bronze basin? Did you know it was made from women's mirrors? That's what it was made from. Maybe he would say, Billy, you no longer have the need to wash yourself to come into God's presence. For he has cleansed you with the only cleansing that can wash away the stain of sin and purify your conscience, my own blood. And Jesus leads you into the holy place And he might take you to the lampstand. He would say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Maybe we would walk across the room, not very big, walk across, and he would stand, you would stand with him at the table of the bread of the presence. Perhaps he would say, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh.
we would move closer to the altar of incense. And he would say, Billy, I always live to make intercession for those who draw near to God through me. He is our mediator. Now nothing is between us and the torn curtain. Look at the curtain. You can tell that it's been ripped. It hung for generations in the tabernacle and then in the temple. It was the thing that stood between man and God. And for centuries, Israel had waited for a new way of access to, into the presence of God to be revealed. And you see the curtain that has been torn and in front of you in the most holy place is the mercy seat. You see the cherubims that whose, whose created job it is is to protect the holiness of God. What does that even mean? And as I stand before that place, the awareness of God continues to grow. Perhaps as we looked at the mercy seat together, I would realize that it's still covered with blood. And Jesus might say, I entered once for all into the holy place not by means of the blood of goats or calves, but by the means of my own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. This is love. Not that you have loved God, but that he loved you and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for your sins. So the cross is our mercy seat. It's the place where the blood of the atoning sacrifice reconciled us to God by coming between God's holiness and our law-breaking. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 
he would help us see in that place that his death was a means to an end. And that end is what God states again and again throughout the Old and New Testament. I will be your God and you will be my people. Someday there will be no separation of any kind. Death will have been defeated. There will be no need for the brazen altar in heaven because the lamb who was slain, our all-sufficient sacrifice will be on the throne and we will join in singing, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wisdom and wealth and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. There will be no need for the washing basin. All those will have their robes washed white in the blood of the Lamb. There will be no need for the table of the bread of the presence. He has fulfilled his promise to anyone and everyone who has heard his voice and opened the door to come in and eat with him and him with them. There will be no need for the golden lampstand, even for the sun or the moon, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamp is the lamb. There will be no need for the altar of incense. The prayers of the suffering church will have been answered, and its people will stand clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands crying out, With a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There will be no curtain that separates us from the presence of God. We will be close enough to see his face, close enough that he will reach out and wipe every tear from our eyes. This is a picture of what it means when we read John's vision in Revelation, when all that's in the tabernacle becomes reality. There will be no more relating from a distance. Faith will have become sight. Shadows will have fallen away, and only glorious substance will remain. Can you imagine what it will be like? to stand with the generations of people who have named God as their God. When we hear a loud voice from the throne declaring the best news that anyone has ever had, Revelation 21.3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Lord Jesus, come. And until you do, will you continue to conform us into the image of your Son by your your transforming spirit. In his name we pray, amen.